We'll see. All right. Well, good evening. How's everybody doing? Is that on? This thing on. Is this thing on? All right. Uh, good to see everybody out tonight. Look forward to just what the Lord has for us. I'm going to just get right started since the live stream's already rolling. Brother Joe's going to come up and preach. We'll do that. We'll have prayer time at the end tonight. So welcome back, Mr. Joseph Bryant, and, uh, as he's going to preach for us tonight. On? Yeah, hey, woo, hey, there we go. Yeah, it's definitely on. Hey, somebody left me a cough drop here. Thank you. I got two more in my pocket. Um, you're probably going to hear a little bit of sniffling and stuff tonight. We've got this stuff in Danville. I don't know if y'all have it here. It's called pollen. And uh, it's this yellow thing, and it just kind of goes everywhere, and it's no fun. Um, so uh, Cammie's bad day was probably Saturday and Sunday. Now, she's doing better. And then um, I don't know if she gave it to me or if the trees gave it to me, but somebody gave it to me. And it's not here I am. But uh, I still look good, though, and uh, so I can't complain about that. I haven't gotten no uglier, haven't gotten any prettier, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm thankful to be with you guys tonight. So I appreciate you bearing with me. Um, since we're starting here, I, I didn't realize that it wasn't at 6.30 anymore, so um, y'all get an extra 30 minutes of preaching tonight, okay? So y'all just sit tight. No, I'm, I'm going I'm to be mindful. Y'all, y'all going to get out of here easy by 9.30, okay? So y'all just hang in. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn to Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation chapter number 1. Yeah. Revelation 1. Y'all going to be there um, tonight. We're going to look at verse number 5 specifically. Um, as you often turn to Revelation, you know it's at the back of the book. You know it's the final book on all things. And then we also know everyone else... When you talk about the book of Revelation, normally goes, either gets really excited, gets on the edge of their seat, and is wanting to know more about it, or everyone else goes, ah, like, what is this? Like, what's going to happen? You know, like, left behind series sort of thing, gets scared, freaked out, and everything. Uh, here's what we're going to do tonight, is we're going to focus on one verse, and that's verse number five. We're going to focus specifically on Christ, his office of prophet, priest, and king. I believe this is important to understand who Jesus is. I want to first of all understand this. If you have a Bible probably like mine, it probably says, like mine, the revelation of St. John the Divine, right? Does that sound nice and formal? But then if you notice, verse number one says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the Lord's revelation. And by the way, all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus' revelation of himself to get us and to draw us to himself, the Father, that we might know him. And how do we know the rest of Scripture? How does it... Uh, enlightened to us? How do we know what it means to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit? There's not a single thing that our triune God does not do in perfect, complete unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. Why? To draw us sinful men to be reconciled to Him. And tonight, I want to read for context's sake, uh, verse number four down through eight, and uh, we'll pray real quick, and then we'll jump into it in verse number five. Says John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Uh, and, uh, and it says, verse number seven, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your scripture that's read. Grateful for another day of life that we can gather and to worship you and to hear your word. I pray, Lord, now that it would uh, be just uh, impacting our hearts and our lives to draw us to you, that we might know who you are, Lord, that we might grow in grace and knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that now you would take this text and that you use it, and Lord, that you give me strength in my body and spirit to be filled by you to preach boldly and accurately according to your word. And Lord, that all of us here tonight would leave here knowing you more and rejoicing uh, in you and in who you are and what you've done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see, verse 4 and verse number 8 have something that's very key. Which was, which is, which is to come. This is showing that Jesus Christ is not the first created being, but rather is the creator. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He establishes who He is. Our God is eternal. If God was not eternal, if Jesus was not eternal, then He would not be Jesus, He would not be God, and He would not be worth serving. What makes Him so sovereign is all of who He is, all of His character, His attributes. But tonight what we're going to focus in on is as uh, the Lord is speaking through John here to speak to us today, some ne- nearly 2,000 years later, 2021 today, whatever day of April it is. Here we are, what He's dealing with us. So I want to focus on verse 5. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. I want to focus tonight on Jesus being the prophet, priest, and king. These are three separate offices. Now, someone who is operating as a prophet is not going to be the priest and the king either. Someone who's operating as the priest isn't going to be prophet, and they're not going to be king. Someone who's the king is not the prophet or the priest either. However, when we come to the person, the deity of Jesus Christ, He is completely and perfectly and holy, and the only one that could ever be prophet, priest, and king. And looking at this verse tonight, I want us to see these three offices. And to be honest with you, each one of these offices is a sermon in and of itself. So tonight, you're going to get about like a 15,000-foot view instead of a 30,000-foot view. We're going to go a little bit deeper, but we're not going to get all the way down into the depth if so, we'd have to do a three-part series, and maybe even longer than that, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyways, that might be for another time. But prophet, the office of prophet. It says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. The word witness, here's the word martyr. It's where we get martyr from, those who are, as we, the first thing that I think about when I think of martyr is someone who is in the world today, who faces persecution and dies for their faith. Someone who is martyred for their faith. I encourage you to read Fox's book of martyrs, or to... Focus on today and praying for those who are martyred or facing persecution. You have the magazine in the group called The Voice of the Martyrs that uh, talks about the modern-day persecution that's taking place and how to help, how to pray. But the word martyr is one who bears witness. Now, witnessing is something that's interesting. You can, one, first and foremost, witness something with your eyes. So for John here, as he's writing this, he is seeing this in a vision that the Lord is showing him to reveal ultimately, so that we might know who Christ is and what he's going to do, past, present, and future. But John also walked with the Lord. The apostles walked with the Lord. They were eyewitnesses, as First John talks about, eyewitnesses of that account. The Gospels give these eyewitness accounts to witness something. But witness also has the idea of pronouncing, and, and the witness can also be one who pronounces something that has taken place. So it's not someone that just has seen something, but it can also be someone who knows something and witnesses about it. Now, every pastor probably says, hey, we ought to witness more. And every Christian says, we ought to witness more. But what does it really mean to witness? It means to bear witness that we're commanding and 
uh, we're taking the commands of the Lord, rather, and we're proclaiming it to all those that we know, that we are bearing and being His witness. Believers are commanded to be Christ's witness. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend into the Father. Uh, and as He's looking down, He's looking at His disciples, and His last command, not just to those that are there that day, but to every one of us, is to be and to bear witness and to be His witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Y'all know where Hillsville is? Uttermost parts of the earth, right? Here we are. Some of y'all probably live in some real uttermost parts, right? You might really live out there. But the Gospel is for all people, all places, all walks of life, throughout all the world. And we are called to bear witness. Now what does it mean, though, as we're talking about Jesus? He says that He is the faithful witness. This is like a title, if you will. He's not just bearing witness of something or saying something that's important. Right? A lot of people, you can say, and a lot of other religions, by the way, discuss and say, well, we believe in Jesus. And they would even say that Jesus was a good teacher. He was much more than that. He is the faithful witness of God. Why? Because only He has witnessed the heavenlies. Only He has witnessed creation. Only He has witnessed the things of eternity to eternity and has known all things and has brought all things and sustains all things. But what else is that He's called the faithful witness. He is faithful and a faithful witness to the Father. And now, the idea of understanding how the Lord works in this way, that Jesus, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who is God Himself, submits Himself to the will of the Father, which would ultimately lead Him to the death of the cross, uh, so that way He could bear your sins and mine, so that He could offer a pardon, that He could offer redemption to those who would trust in Him uh, by faith alone. It is only through that gospel that anyone can be saved. It is only through what Jesus has done and His faithful witnessing of what the Father has done, what the Father has decreed, what the Father has designed, which is the salvation of souls, not by the works of man, but by the works of God Himself. Now, the office of a prophet is something interesting. There's a lot of people today, and you could probably write up and down throughout the countryside and even in the big city of Galax or wherever the big cities are around here, right? And you can find churches, and you might even be able to find one that says outside, instead of saying pastor so-and-so, it might say prophet so-and-so. All right? You might go, well, what's the difference? What's that mean? Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when people say the office of a prophet, that it's just someone who tells the future. Let me go ahead and state this. If anyone could tell the future, it's Jesus, because he was there before the present was even present. Right? He always has been. But the, here's the thing. The office of a prophet, in the Old Testament, the prophets did not just talk about what was going to happen in the future, but one of their main offices and one of their main focal points was to call and to preach. It was to fulfill the role of prophet, is to preach and proclaim, as the, the prophets would often say, thus saith the Lord. Not thus saith the politics, thus saith the preacher, thus saith the Lord. Everyone could gather on Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings, whenever we gather together, to hear uh, and to gather uh, for the Scripture, you could hear what, what, uh, what Pastor Mike has to say, what I have to say, what anybody else has to say, but unless it is thus saith the Lord, then it's fruitless, worthless, and not good for your soul. We need the Word of God, what He declares, what He says, because it's only the words of God that offer eternal life that can change and transform us from the inside out. Now, these prophets didn't just preach thus saith the Lord, but that 
that preaching of thus saith the Lord was, was a difficult thing because what thus saith the Lord often looked like was thus saith the Lord, you're a bunch of filthy, stinking, rotten sinners who need to repent or else I'm going to burn you up, right? And you go, well, a lot of people say, well, maybe the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, He's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always called His people to repentance. And as a matter of fact, when you call people to place their faith in Jesus, you are also calling them to repent of their sins. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. So the office of a prophet, before he even tells them, turn to the Lord, he's having to tell them to turn from where they're at, which is even following Satan and uh, following uh, cults and uh, following their own wickedness and lustful flesh. So the office of a prophet, what would happen, you can hold your place here. I'm going to turn quickly for sake of time because somehow I've already preached for like 10 minutes. Isaiah chapter number 1 tells us uh, about the prophets would first of all pronounce judgment. They call out sin and they call out for repentance. It's not just, and I mind you this, every preacher who is called by God is to call out sin and to call sin, sin. However, we fail to do our job if we just bash sin and never call to repentance and faith. We can name sins all day long. But if we do not call one another, when we do not call people, even to ourselves, to turn from that sin, then we've just talked about how bad everybody else is. We have to have an action of focus. Now, here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 4. He says, Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. You don't get any more calling out sin than that. But you also get the calling of repentance on top of that. Isaiah goes on to say in verse number 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Y'all know what snow looks like, don't you? Right? Y'all see a whole lot more snow than what Danville sees. It's white. Y'all know what wool looks like? White. It's pure. It's the idea of no blemish, no spot in it. And that's the work of the Lord that He does it. He then says in verse 19, if ye be willing and obedient. What's the idea there? Repentance. It's the idea of repentance and faith together. It is turn from your backward way, which he just said in verse number 4, and turn to the forward way, which is focusing on the cross, focusing on the promised Messiah, focusing on the promises of God, focusing on the law of God, the Word of God, all of who He is. The rest of verse 19 says, ye shall eat the good of the land if ye be willing and obedient. There's the, the stipulation there. That's the repentance part. We get to enjoy all of who God is when we turn from our sin and trust in Him fully. Verse 20 says, But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So who brings about the judgment to His people? It's not just the enemies of Israel, but rather it's the Lord Himself. God is a good Father to His people. Why? Not because He just feeds them with sugar and Pepsi and shakes them up and sends them on their way but rather because He gives them what they need and even takes them to the woodshed. And He will correct them, even devour them with the sword if that's what it takes, not to show how mean or wrathful He is, but rather to be gracious to them because they deserve far worse. We have to understand that every sin goes against this Holy One of Israel, this Holy One of the universe, this Holy One of God. So we see that the prophets call this out. Lastly, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter number 40, uh, just a couple of verses there. The prophet doesn't just call out. 
and says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. That's a stark contrast from 39 chapters ago, isn't it? He says, Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What do we find? <coughs> Excuse me. We find that God says, Not only if you turn to me, that there will be forgiveness to all who come unto him. Uh, and trust in Him by turning from their sins and putting their faith in Him. But He gives this promise to His people to encourage them because they were going to face the sword. They were going to face a terrible and were experiencing uh, persecution and being surrounded and being in captivity. And, and really, truly, they found themselves in a spiritual captivity even more so than a physical one. And so the prophet, in the office of a prophet, is to call them away from the world, away from their flesh, away from the things of the devil, and back to the Lord. This office of the prophetic is what we need today. We need still yet preachers and pastors who are willing to do this office of the work of the prophetic. Many want the gift of prophecy to talk about what the future holds. You know what? I can tell you what the future holds. Things are going to get bad. God's still in control. One day God's going to make all of His enemies His footstool and will crush death to death forevermore. And one day all those who live and know Him will live with Him, see Him face to face, and enjoy Him for all of eternity. That's it in a nutshell. But what's going to happen five minutes from now? I don't know. Right? We don't know the future, but we're called and we need to have the ability and the, the, the guts and the gumption enough to still call out sin, but to not just say how bad everyone is, but to say, because we're so bad, God's so good, and we see how He calls us not away from Him, but rather draws us to Himself that we might be redeemed and reconciled to Him. That's the office of a prophet. Now, Jesus the prophet. Jesus the prophet Himself being the office of the prophet. What did Jesus come to do? He said, well, people think I'm coming to bring just peace, but He said, I come to bring a sword. He even would divide folks even dividing families. And if we even think about it in our own families, we probably have people in our uh, families or friend groups who don't want much to do with us near as much because of our stands for the Lord and our stand for the gospel. And by all means, that's perfectly okay. That Jesus says it's going to happen. Especially in these last days, it's going to happen. All who live godly shall suffer persecution, shall have mother turn against daughter and father against son and brother against brother, so on and so forth. Now, Jesus, when He comes to this earth, what does He do? The first thing that He does, we often just think Jesus is just going around and healing everyone, which He certainly healed a lot of people. John would go on to say in his Gospel that if all the things that Jesus did on His earthly ministry could be put into a book, it couldn't fill up uh, uh, this room. It couldn't fill up the world. But what did He do? He preached. He preached the Gospel. He preached Himself. He preached the Word. And nobody preaches the Word of God better than the Word of God. He's called in John 1, 1 the divine logos, the, the divine revelation of God. If you want to know who God is, look to Christ. If you want to know and how to get to God, get to Jesus. Follow Him. Seek Him. Look unto Him and live. He is the Word and He proclaims the Word. Jesus is the perfect prophet in that He always says, Thus saith the Lord. But Jesus also has the authority, if He desired to, to just say, Thus says I. There's a whole lot of pastors who want to say, thus says I. We just make stuff up. We could do that all day long and you know, baloney people to death. It's not going to get us anywhere. We need, thus saith the Lord. Jesus perfects the office of a prophet, the greatest preacher to ever live. He comes like a prophet and as a prophet because the prophets were sent by God 
not when things were necessarily good. As a matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament, the prophets came normally when things were bad. Even more specifically, when the people had gone away from God. So God would raise up judges, or He'd raise up prophets. And He'd raise them up to proclaim and call His people back to Himself, to call them into repentance. What did Jesus come to do? He said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, I've come and proclaimed the kingdom to you. I've come and proclaimed the gospel to you. And what did His people do? The people of Israel overwhelmingly rejected Him. But praise God that He has called to us and He has proclaimed Himself through us, through, through this Word, and we've answered and we've been born again. And if you have not been, turn to Christ tonight. Hear the Word of His own message which is that He is the faithful witness and He is the first begotten of the dead. He is the Prince of the kings of the earth and that He loved you and washed us from our sins in His own blood. He pronounces as well like the prophets the pardon of God. The Pharisees got pretty ruffled over that. Say, how can this man claim and say that he forgives sin or that they can be forgiven? No one but God can do that. Little did they know they were in the presence of of God in the flesh. Jesus is not just the preacher, but He is the propitiation. Right? At the end of the day, I'm just a preacher. All I can do is tell you what God says, but the rest, you're either going to believe or you're going to, like Isaiah said, rebel and reject and go wayward. Not a single preacher can bring revival. Not a single preacher can bring and, and make someone saved. Or do, if we could, like the Apostle Paul said, he said, if I could just die and then the, all of the house of Israel be saved, I'd gladly do it. But he couldn't. And I can't tonight. No one else can tonight. You must be born again. Jesus is not just this prophet. As we see where he says, who is the faithful witness who is faithfully preaching the Word of God and faithfully preached the Word of God. And even still today, preaches the Word of God as long as this Word is out there and always will be. He says His Word will not return void, that all these things must come to pass. I mean, it's there. The reason why we're still here today is because Jesus is still the faithful witness. That's why we need to be faithful to His Word, to His Scripture. Now the second office, it says, not only is He who is the faithful witness, it says, in the first begotten of the dead. I believe this to be referencing what we would call the office of priest. Now you say, what in the world then does first begotten of the dead mean? I'm glad you asked. We're going to answer that. The first begotten of the dead, if you hold your place there, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters and portions of Scripture. Here we find a pronouncement of who Jesus is. I believe that there's an awful lot of people who believe that they know who Jesus is, but they have yet to crack open the Bible to truly see who Jesus is. Notice it's often the ones who are living contrary to the Word of God who tell you, well, Jesus wouldn't say that, or Jesus wouldn't do that, or Jesus wouldn't be so mean, but they don't know Jesus, or at least not the Jesus of the Bible. How do we know what Jesus would say, or what He did, or what He would do? The Bible. Now, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 uh, through, uh, through uh, 18 describing and talking about Jesus as the object here. He says, Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. Jesus would say in His ministry, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. No man has seen the Father except Me. He says, but if you want to know, what he, what, if you want to know who God is, you're looking at Him. Right? Now, it says He's the firstborn of every creature. Now, hold on, and let's keep reading, and we'll get to it. 
It says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Without covers, it doesn't. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. So when people say, why'd God make the earth? Because he wanted to. He's God. I know people often say, well, that's too simple of an answer. Why does God do anything? Because he desires to. And it says that he is before all things. That's why Jesus could say, ego a me, which is the word saying, I, I am. I am the I am. That's what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. But when the Pharisees are asking Jesus, they say, what do you mean you were before Abraham? What do you mean you know Abraham? Jesus is like, yeah, because I was before Abraham. Before Abraham was, I was. Before anything was, he was. Before the first molecule left the mouth of God, he already was. It says, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, not pastor anybody. Jesus, the head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's a repeat of this idea that in all things he might have the preeminence because he is God. This idea of Jesus being the firstborn of every creature is that he is not the first thing that is made. He is not the first creation, but rather the creator and first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, as it describes in verse 18. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? You say, well, he raised people from, from the dead. So what about them? Well, Lazarus rose because Jesus commanded him to. And then Lazarus, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but Lazarus died again. We don't know when, but he died again. If you were to find Lazarus' body, it would be much like then, and it would say, behold, he stinketh, and he stinketh real bad. Jesus rose from the dead to never die again. Rather, to put death away. That death has died. That Christ has risen victoriously. We don't just celebrate that Easter. I hope you know that Jesus is still alive today. I hope you know that's why we gather the first day of the week, every week, because of what Jesus has done. He is alive. He is risen and reigning forevermore. Now, how do we get first begotten of the dead to mean priest? This idea, the office of a priest, was one who was a mediator. The only way that we can have a mediator is someone who is no longer dead but alive or raised to life. That's who Jesus is. Jesus being, as Revelation 1.5 tells us, the first begotten of the dead. It gives him the authority acting as a, a mediator in this sense. I want to describe first, to you, first of all to you the, the office of a priest. The office of a priest was incredibly selective and incredibly important. Anybody can be a Walmart greeter. Not everybody can be a priest. Okay? Now, especially for the Jewish people, you had to talk about lineage, training, education, the whole nine yards. Right? Very specific deal. Now, for this, the office of a priest, and especially now to be the high priest on the Day of Atonement was a big deal. Right? There was the one high priest for the Day of Atonement, and it was a huge thing. Right? Now, here's what happens. Is the, the, they acted as a mediator between God and man, or, or specifically God and Israel. Now, on the Day of Atonement, which we in our un-Jewish or non-Jewish minds have a hard time grasping the weight of it. Okay? For them, it meant, it meant everything. 
The Day of Atonement was the, the day every year, and it happened every year, that they had to make this sacrifice, and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, because uh, you have the, the temple and the tabernacle both separated inside where you could only go but so far into God's presence without being consumed. The one day a year, the Day of Atonement, they're able to, the high priest is able to go in, and he has one job, and that is to take blood and to place it upon, to sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. Now, he's already killed goats and bulls and rams and all of these things year after year after year after year, and even day after day after day after day. Why do they have to keep shedding blood? Because the Scripture tells us, Old and New Testament, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And notice how the children of Israel were not the ones that were, they weren't taking one Israelite every year to sacrifice the human or the, the Israelite. But they had someone or something, rather, an animal that would be guiltless. And metaphorically, the guilt would be placed upon that animal and would be killed and their blood would be sprinkled so that way that offering would satisfy God for how long? A year. <laughs> and then come next year, you're going to have another Day of Atonement. After that one, you bet it. Another year from that, you're going to have another one. So on and so on and so on. Now the issue is this, that we've always had substitutionary uh, blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat, if you will. The guiltless for the guilty. Uh, this yearly sacrifice, however, when Christ comes and the Lamb of God is slain for the sins of the world, what takes place? Sacrifice once and for all. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, for just a few moments. Hebrews chapter 9. Our high priest. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, notice this, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in, how many times? Once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, not yearly redemption for us, eternal redemption for us. It says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus is not just the priest, but He's the sacrifice Himself. No priest would ever sacrifice Himself because He couldn't. He is offering Himself as a priest to do the work that only He can do. How can man get to God? He can't. Unless God comes to Him to bring Him to Himself. Man cannot rescue man from himself. Man cannot climb his way to God, be good enough to get to God. Man could do a million things and still be unrighteous and unholy. It would be like if I asked someone to jump up here real quick and to go down on that first stair, right? Before you even take the first step, you fall. You can't even make the first step. You can't even get it to second or third step. You're not making it on the stairs at all. You're just down there on the ground a mess. God comes to His people. And God comes down. Jesus being God in the flesh, the God-man, is the perfect and true and complete and greater mediator between God and man. Moses would tell the children of Israel, I've acted as a mediator for you between God and you. Hebrews 
One of my favorite books, if not my favorite book of the Bible, and you don't have favorite, it's, it's good. Hebrews discusses how Jesus is greater. What is He greater than? Name anything and He's greater. Jesus is greater. Name anyone and He's greater. Name any sacrifice or good work and Jesus is greater. Show me all of your good works. Write them all down. And I'll write mine down too. And keep on writing. Even make some up. Make up some good ones. Jesus is greater. I could write all my good works and I could even make up even better ones than I could ever possibly do and it would be as dung. Jesus is greater. Now, He is the substitutionary priest as well as the propitiator, the satisfaction of God's wrath. The same way every year that metaphor of the atoning death of that animal on behalf of the people would satisfy God for the year, if you will, and the atonement, then they'd have to come back and do it again. When Jesus dies and becomes your sin and my sin on the cross of Calvary, He satisfies the, the wrath of God. The wrath of God being poured out upon Jesus, the guiltless one, for who? The guilty. Who's the guilty? I'm guilty. Not just guilty, but guilty, guilty, guilty. The same way that He is guiltless, without spot or blemish. And that's why He could be priest and the one who is the sacrifice. As John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Now what else does this priest do? The priest also acts as a substitutionary person interceding on behalf of the people. Moses would talk, as the Scripture says, as if it was face to face with God, as is in his tent, right? He would talk to God and, uh, for the people, and then he would go out and tell the people what God had to say. Jesus, the priest, he now continues at office. Romans eight thirty four discusses how Jesus is currently right now interceding upon our behalf. The then the same scripture, just a few verses before, in the same chapter of Romans eight, tells us that the Holy Spirit, who indwells believers and seals believers is speaking and praying on our behalf as well. When we, you ever have those times where you're so burdened or broken that you just came and pray? You go to pray and all that comes out is snot and tears? Even if you don't even have the snot and tears, you just sit in silence and you don't even know what to say. Uh, I've often said this, and I believe this to be true. People say, pastors need to have good prayer lives. Absolutely. So do the people. Right? I, if you want to have a, someone to pray for, pray for me. Right, Pastor Paul used to say, uh, "I need the prayers, y'all need to practice." Okay, so when it comes to Jesus being the high priest, though, we look at this as He's interceding for us, the Holy Spirit interceding for me. What I know about my prayer life is that I wish I prayed better. I wish I prayed more. Let's just be honest with ourselves tonight. The greatest thing about my prayer life is the fact that the Holy Spirit is praying for me right now, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding upon my behalf and your behalf right now. What could be better in our prayer life than that? Does that mean, oh, well, shoot, if they're praying for me, I, I don't need to pray. No, that's not what that means. It means we go and we can have full assurance that now because of what Jesus has done that we can, as Hebrews says, boldly go to the throne of grace. We can go to that throne of grace not because we're good, not because we're righteous on ourselves, but rather because we've experienced His grace in our lives. Before we can approach that throne of grace, that throne of grace has approached us in Jesus Christ. Lastly, y'all got a few more minutes? Okay, good. <laughs> Didn't want y'all to answer all at one time now. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, Who is the faithful witness, prophet, and the first begotten of the dead, 
the priest, the mediator, and the prince of the kings of the earth. He is king. I want you to know, many people look at this world and say, how are these terrible things happening? What is, is God just letting it all happen? Is He up there just not knowing what's going on? No. God, God knows exactly what's happening. There's not a single thing that's taking place in this world that God is not fully aware of. And even working through, I want you to know that even in your darkest night, darkest valley, hardest moment, deepest, most terrible pain you might feel on the outside of your body or the inside of your soul, the Lord knows and is working through it. Ever since the foundations of the world, God has been reigning. And there has not been a millisecond where He has stopped reigning. If we believe that God wasn't in control and wasn't sovereign and reigning over things, then we don't know who God is. Jesus being called king here. What it means to be prince of the kings of the earth. Princes and kings are ones who rule. The the word here that's used is literally ruler. Not like a ruler to measure, but a ruler is someone who has authority. Someone who has the ability to rule or govern. One who has the authority, the the prominence, and the power over a people. to, To rule, to delegate. Uh, it would be that is what we would think of as a king. You and I in America, we don't have kings, right? We got presidents and we got good ones, we got bad ones, we got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, right? <laughs> right? I always say just write your congressman and pray real hard, okay? Right, we do our part, but here's, here's this there is a king on the throne of the universe who forever reigns. He'll never be voted out, he can be questioned. And he can look and say, I'm still God, and you're not. Your ways are not my ways. His throne will never collapse or crumble. Always be there. And he will never leave it, because he's always the king. When the king is the king, he doesn't cease to be the king, ever. Now, an earthly king, when he dies, he's not the king no more. Jesus has died and risen and reigns forever and forever and forever. The office of king for the Jewish people, many of who are receiving this uh, book that is being spoken through and given to John and as it's being spread throughout, they know what it's like to have a king. They reminisce on the days of good kings. Remember, there used to be a time where the, the Jewish people didn't have a king. And you know what they told God? God, we sure would like to have a king. And he said, all right, yeah, I don't know, guys. And he said, okay, you want a king? You have a king. They had a king. How'd that work out? Not too too hot, right? But they had one king that was called a man after God's own heart. David. David was a a great king. When people thought about a good king of Israel, they thought about old King David. The, The kings during the day, and the role of a king is to protect the kingdom. It is to rule over the kingdom, but it's to do so justly in a in a right way. David is, is a picture of that. But if you look past David and you go down through David's lineage, there's one who would be a king who would be a much greater king than David could ever be. And his name is Jesus. From a lowly manger in Bethlehem, it was foretold hundreds of years ago, before that day, he would be born king of the Jews. He would be born king of kings and lord of lords, as Revelation 19, verse 16 tells us. You see, David comes and he's a picture of Israel's best king, but Jesus, the son of David, also called the seed of David, is a truer and greater 
king. Where David messed up as a king, didn't he? Of course. A lot of times when you hear David, you think the first thing that people say when they hear David is they hear, you say, tell me about David. They say, first of all, normally they say either David and Goliath, right? Or they say, mm, remember that time when David went in Bathsheba? That wasn't good, right? Adultery, he was bad. They forget that even in the midst of all of these things, all of his faults and failures, that God still called him a man after his own heart and that he represented all of the good that Israel could be. And even at that best, that is nothing compared to Jesus as king. Jesus, as told in, in Revelation 19, is that King of kings and Lord of lords. He has a coming kingdom, and I hope you know that. If Jesus didn't raise up to go to heaven and to not come back and to make things right. He had promised that things were going to be made right. You, you go back and you could see that stuff in Genesis. It's going to happen again one day. The Lord is coming. The King is coming. His coming kingdom, there's going to be what's called after the Great Tribulation, seven literal years of almost hell on earth to imagine, where God's wrath will be poured out upon the people of the earth, where God will still be doing great and wonderful things to it all. Ultimately, after that tribulation, there's what's called the second coming, where Christ will come back and He will step foot where He ascended up to the Father. He'll step foot back on this earth the first time. And when He does so, He will begin what is called the Millennial Kingdom, which is a thousand years of literal reigning. And I believe in that thousand years of literal reigning. Because after that takes place, He says that He lets Satan loose for a season. You go, why would He do that? He's God, I don't know. I know I'm going to be with Him, and it's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. Because you read the next chapter, and what happens? The Lord takes care of it. Then what we have is what's called eternity. The eternal chapters of chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. Some of my favorite chapters of Scripture. If you want encouragement, go read the beginning of the Bible where you see God's in control, always has been. And if you need more encouragement, go read the end of the Bible and see where God has always been in control and always will be in control. Right? And you got it. It takes care of the, the middle part too, right? The middle part's just the, it's the good part of the, or like it's just the rest of it, right? That's the bookends. It brings it all together. That's what we would call the eternal kingdom. That God will continue to reign and Jesus will reign forever and forever and forever and forever. And you and I who are in Christ, who have trusted Him, who have been born again, who have been saved by His glorious grace, you and I get to be a part of that. Not just His millennial kingdom, but into His eternal kingdom. The great part about that is not just the reunions that we'll have with others who have gone before us or, or even just enjoying the splendor or the beauty of all that it is, but the fact that we will never fail our King again. Never disappoint Him. Never upset Him. Never do anything wrong against our King again. We will perfectly be able to be in His kingdom. And His kingdom will not be like every other country in this world, including our own, where there is injustice and wickedness and sin, but rather, he says, any of that is gone, done away with. Nothing will come into his city, that heavenly city, except for that which is righteous. Which is in Jesus, in Christ. So, Jesus being prophet, priest, and king, what do we do with this now? Well, Jesus tells us what to do with it. We rejoice. Because in all of these things, and in all these offices, he shows us these two things. Unto him that loved us. When Jesus was prophet preaching that ye must be born again, repent, lest ye perish, lest ye all likewise perish, Jesus is preaching out of love for his people. 
What else is he doing when he's priest, acting as mediator on the cross, bearing your guilty and sinfulness and my guilt and my sin? He is doing so and demonstrating his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's also showing that he is a loving king. I've never had a congressman or a president take a bullet for me, right? Never had a political figure come down and mow my grass, right? If they even tried it, probably say, you know what, I got it because I want to mow straight lines. I don't want nothing crooked, right? (laughs) If you don't get it, ask somebody later, okay? Jesus operating as the king, straight and narrow, perfect kingdom, the kingdom of love, a loving king who loves his people perfectly. His fulfillment of each office demonstrates his unconditional and unfathomable love for his people. Tonight, wherever you are, you can rest assured that Jesus, your prophet, priest, and king, loves you, not only loves you, loves you now, and he will never love you less, and he won't even love you more. He loves you perfectly and wholly and completely, always has and always will. Yet why do we reject his love? Why do we reject our great, loving prophet, priest, and king? Then we find this. It says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Not the blood of animals, but his own blood. His fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king has now redeemed us and reconciled us by his word and work, by his precious blood. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has done this. We find His office of prophet, priest, and king, which He has always fulfilled and always will fulfill, and always will do so faithfully to demonstrate His love and to demonstrate His redemption through Him. And look at verse 6. I haven't mentioned it yet, and there's a reason. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. And here's our key for tonight. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May tonight we understand in a broad view, because I hope you understand each one of those offices is a a series on its own. It's much deeper than what we just went tonight. We began to scratch the surface at Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. What we do tonight is we see more of who Jesus is so that we might give Him more glory. That He might have the dominion, the power, the authority forever, forever, forever. Amen. Let me ask you tonight, do you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Are you first of all born again? If not, call out to Him. Ask for His mercy. Put your faith and trust in Him alone. It says all those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. Tonight you can be born again and you can experience His love and the washing of His blood over your sins and experience what it means to have a prophet, priest, and king for you because He loves you. And tonight if you are saved, I encourage us to turn our hearts and to trust and to praise this prophet, priest, and king every breath, every day, from now through eternity. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? Go ahead and start praising God and you'll get to experience it just a little bit. Praise God for who He is, for what He has done. May we worship Him and adore Him tonight for it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You now for Your Word. Thank you for each one that's here. Grateful for this opportunity to study who you are. 
study this, your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our prophet, priest, and king, who loves us and has washed us. And Lord, that we get to see you one day because of what he's done for us. Help us not take it for granted. Help us to leave here tonight rejoicing that we have such a great high priest, such a prophet, and such a king who is ruling and risen and reigning forevermore. And we live our lives submitted to you and to your word. Help us now tonight as we prepare for the close of the service. Lord, that we might rejoice in you and give you the glory from now and through eternity. Amen. How many of you are thankful for all that Jesus? You just can't expound him all, can you? Amen. Every week we can come talk and tell you more about him and uh, and uh, learn more about him, and he just he just keeps going and going and going. The first Energizer Bunny. <laughs> uh, amen. Let's have a a moment or two, just a prayer time here. Some some I'll give you a few things to write down, and if you could be praying, pray for Miss Teresa Turner had surgery today uh don't know haven't heard on how everything went but on her hand today and went good amen so she sees the home supposed to be outpatient she came home already praise the lord for that amen uh remember kathy carico how many remember kathy and delane when they were coming she's had uh, a couple surgeries now and they've now amputated